Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome back to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor John, and I'm here alongside Pastor Eric. Eric, I guess one of us is technically filling in for Pastor Brian today. Since you have more hair than me, does that make me the Pastor Brian fill-in? I guess so. Today we're discussing the second week of our Expecting Jesus sermon series. One of the things that's really struck me, Eric, is the irony that so many people were expecting the Messiah, but no one or at least very few people were expecting Jesus. For generations, the Jewish people were expecting a promised Redeemer and Deliverer, but when Jesus showed up, not only was he unexpected, so many of the events around his birth and his ministry were unexpected. Now, last week we talked about an unexpected family. If you're with us, we talked through the genealogy of Jesus. What is it about this week's topic that was unexpected? Yeah, well, this week we're going to explore the unexpected call on Mary's life. And really the biggest part of what was unexpected was that an angel comes to Mary and says that she is going to be pregnant. And so it really is an unexpected pregnancy, kind of shocking, shocking news to her about Jesus would be um, inside of her and born the Son of God. We're going to get into it. The The verses are in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and Luke 26 through 38. And as we had talked last week as we were preparing this series. Uh, it seems like, you know, I've had a lot of baby on my mind because my wife and I recently had a baby about eight months ago now. His name's Aaron. And I was thinking about um, how we have four boys, and I'm sure you probably have some stories about like this as, as well, John, but all the times that we found out kind of the shocking news, even when we were trying to have a kid, it still gave a little bit of shock every time my wife would come to me with that pregnancy test and say, hey, we're pregnant, you know, and and she would most of the time try to record it to get an, a reaction out of me. And she she she's probably sad that she married a guy that's more stoic and doesn't have so much emotion at those times. But I was really excited. I was Really shocked, especially at this last one, because we'd been trying for a while. And so that kind of leads us into um, talking about the birth of Jesus, or at least the news. Uh, the birth of Jesus will be at Christmas, but we're leading up to that with the news that Mary gets from the angel, Gabriel. Yeah, so this unexpected pregnancy, I'd imagine a lot of our listeners can relate. As, as you mentioned, I, I have four kids also, and I remember our youngest daughter— we were at Disneyland, so my wife and I and our three older children, and my wife was getting ready to get on the Tower of Terror ride. And, of course, it says, you know, pregnant women should ride at your own risk. Mm. She didn't say a word to me, but in that moment, I looked at that sign, I looked at Rhonda, and I was like, she's pregnant. Ooh. And I didn't even want to ask her on vacation because I was not looking for a fourth child. <laughs> like, I thought we were done at three. And I remember I waited until we got home from that vacation. And the night we got home, I said, you're pregnant, aren't you? And she said, yeah, I am. So, <laughs> wow. so this, uh, this kind of hit a nerve with me when I looked at the, at the sermon title on this of unexpected pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. And this, this story is really uh, one that's possibly overlooked in the church. You know, I mean, people don't talk about this very often, um, but 
this is a major a major doctrine and theme throughout Christianity. Is in fact, if you look at there's a famous creed called the Apostles' Creed, and this was basically uh, a short confession of what Christians believed. It was a, a just a, a concise way of explaining the Christian beliefs in the Apostles' Creed. And one of the lines, when it gets to Jesus, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So that's a big deal in the Christian faith to understand how Jesus came about, how Jesus, last week we, we said that Jesus became a man so that we could enter into God's family, that we could be a part of his his family tree now, future forward. And so uh, today we're going to look at how, what's the process by which God used for Jesus to take on humanity. And so what we're going to see is um, the big, big idea in this story isn't just the theological concept of the Immaculate Conception or the Incarnation of Christ. Those are the theological concepts. But there's also this idea that out of Christ's coming, there's a calling in everyone's lives to preserve and serve Jesus's legacy. And what I mean by that is, is if we think about Mary and Joseph, as we get to the end of this, you'll understand a little bit more, but, but Mary and Joseph were both called to accept what God was doing in their lives and then go and, and practically let their faith play out by protecting and preserving Jesus as the baby, keeping him healthy. I mean, in the story, uh, you know, after or before he was born, they, they had to make the trek to Bethlehem. And, and then after he was born, they went to Egypt to escape Herod because Herod was seeking to kill all children under two years old. And and so we see in the parenthood of Joseph and Mary, they're, they're protecting, they're preserving him because he's an important person, and matter of fact, the most important person in human history. But not only they are protecting him as parents, they're also called to serve him by faith and obedience. And that calling extends really to all of us, all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to dig into more of that in uh, just a little bit. But it's interesting that, that Mary and Joseph didn't just warm up to this idea on their own, right? It took a divine messenger to help them understand God's plan, and really a divine messenger to help them understand the grace of God. Uh, now, this unexpected pregnancy certainly wasn't unplanned, though, right? It was all part of God's plan, really before the foundations of the world, God's mm -hmm. redemptive plan that was in place. But God sent an angel to make sure that Mary knew that plan and to affirm her calling, and we're going to pick that up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we'll start. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy— and Eric will probably ask you to give the listeners a little fill-in on who Elizabeth is. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Yeah, Elizabeth, uh, I believe, is her cousin, um, and we'll eventually find out next week that Eliz Elizabeth is the, the mother of John the Baptist, um, and she goes and visits her right after she gets the news. Uh, we'll talk more about that story next week, but um, 
it, this gives us a timeline to talk about, you know, when this all came to be, when this actually happened, so that we'll be able to see, you know, the timeline of when this plays out. Because this is, again, as we think about how crazy of a story it sounds that, you know, God comes and 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 through an angel an angel appears to this young girl named mary who was a virgin and says um you know god is with you and eventually we're going to read that you know she was going to be pregnant um this is a shocker it might be hard to believe but as we read the narrative of the bible i hope you understand that when we read narratives that have timelines and real archaeological uh, distinctives and 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 people's names that we can go back and look at historically. It really proves the truth of of uh, these stories in the Bible. They're not just made up. But what what we see first in that passage is what I really love about it is you know going back to the point. It says, "Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you." It says that Mary is basically an object of. God's favor. He's chosen her. He's chosen her by no merit of her own. That's what grace means, is unmerited favor. He's chosen Mary, this unlikely, probably 14-year-old girl at the time, to use her as a vessel for God's work, for the, the Son of God. And that's really what grace is, is, is that God... Um, Outside of anything that about us, about our character, about our ability, about our our knowledge, wisdom, our status, our our social status, um, God chooses to give grace to people. He he favors people not because of their works, but because of how wonderful and loving he is. And that's the first thing I wanted to point out is that that this angel really brings this message of grace to Mary favor. Yeah, it's all about God's character, not our character. And like Mary, even today, Eric, wouldn't you agree that you and I, we can't understand God's grace without a divine messenger? Mm -hmm. And we have to have spiritual ears to understand it. We need the Holy Spirit to to be able to soften our hearts and make us receptive to the truth of God's grace. We don't just fathom it on our own. Well, let's continue on in that in that passage, beginning verse 29 now. It says, confused and disturbed, and I read that, and I'm thinking, that's like the understatement of the year, mm -hmm. right? Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary's messenger, Eric, before you kind of expand upon this, was an angel. Is that the only type of messenger God uses? You know, what if one of our listeners today would say, well, I've never heard from an angel. Does that mean that they've never heard from one of God's messengers about his grace? No, no. You know what's interesting about, you know, we know that this is a literal angel, but it reminds me of actually in, in Revelation 2, where there's these letters to the seven churches, and it says, this was written to the angel of this church, of the seven churches. Each each of the church had its own angel. Well, um, that that word that's used for angel here and there, it really just literally means messenger. And so a lot of people believe in Revelation that 
they could have been writing to the pastors. Jesus could have been writing those letters to the pastors. But even um, beyond that, um, yes, we know that this is a literal angel, but you and I can be messengers to people around us. I mean, if you think about going to church and you hear your pastor preach a sermon and he, and he preaches it in such a way that it helps you to understand the gospel, helps you understand God's grace, that person's a messenger. If you have a parent in your life, or if you're a parent and you help your kids understand the gospel, you are a, a messenger in their lives. And and really, that's how God has designed it. It reminds me again, I think in Hebrews, it says, in many times, in, you know, in, in, in many ways, God spoke to the people through his prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to them in his son. And so, you know, Jesus Christ was kind of the the last of the the prophets sent by God. He's certainly greater than a prophet. He's God himself, but he's certainly the kind of the that's God really now speaks to people through his word in the Bible and people who are gifted or people who are willing and diligent to go read the Bible and then go share it with another person. And so that's really what we're saying in this point uh, is for anybody, if we put ourselves in Mary's shoes and maybe you're not going through, you know, an un unexpected pregnancy, but you're going through some kind of thing that's causing you to be confused and disturbed, distressed, you're struggling, and you're, you're asking God, why is it this way? Why is there evil in the world? You know, why am I in this situation that am I, I'm in? You know, sickness or a bad relationship or whatever it is. And maybe there's someone in your life, whether it's a pastor, a mentor, a parent, or, or just a friend whom you know that's a Christian that has, has a little bit of wisdom and knowledge. They could be this messenger. And that's really what it takes, you know, because God um, gave us each other in the church to to look at his word and to digest it together and to apply it to our lives together. And there are certainly people that God uses to be these messengers, even now, even now. Yeah. And then I would say the other application point to that is, you know, some of our listeners today, you are the messenger. So it's not that God can use your pastor or your mentor or a family member in your life to be that messenger. Like God wants to use you as well. God wants you to be engaged in the ministry. Well, our next point is going to be, I would say, a little more theological, because mm -hmm. at this point, I would imagine we have some people who are either kind of apathetic mm -hmm. to the virgin birth, like, well, why does it matter? Or maybe they're just flat out skeptical. Are you, are you, know, are you trying to tell me that, that that really happened, that there was really a divine conception? So a divine child requires a divine conception. Now, what, what do we mean by that, Eric? Well, it, it, what it means is, you know, what divine means is really of God, right? And so if Jesus is the Son of God, if He is God in the flesh, um, then He has to be sinless, okay? And in order for Jesus to be sinless and to be God, uh, but for Him to come into humanity, um, he had to be the seed basically from God himself and not through man, because if we know anything about, you know, the start of the Bible and the theology about sin, the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of mankind, both of these things say that man was created by God, but then man fell in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden when they decided to go against God, follow their own opinions, their own ideas, rather than following God's truth. That's what that's our definition of sin. 
And so sin enters into the world and, and, and originates there, and it's passed down through every human being. Okay, and so um, this is kind of a, an interesting or a mind-blowing concept, but it's also ingenious on God's part that in order for God to become a man, to become a human being, he had to have a way to uh, become a human being but not take on the generation, the generational curse of sin. And so God is the true paternal father, um, not Joseph, which we'll find out. And that's what the whole meaning of the divine conception is all about, is that God... Um, Somehow, in some way, we don't fully understand this. It says, through the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and she conceives. And so God puts um, Jesus in this woman to finally grow and and grow up to be a man. That's called the Incarnation. It's kind of mind-blowing, really, it is. So let's go ahead and jump into those verses. Yeah, if our <laughs> listeners feel a little confused, again, so did Mary. So after the yeah. angel first says in verse 34, it says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Yeah, and where it says right there, the baby to be born will be holy, that really brings back the idea, in order for Jesus to be without sin, um, he had to be straight from God himself. Uh, but yes, Mary was the the carrier of Jesus, and he did take on full humanity. We need to understand that. But yet, the Son of God is being carried by a, a human woman who was a virgin um, and and remains a virgin until... She gets married again. And this was something that was prophesied. Now, so when we say unexpected calling or, or pregnancy um, in this message, it was really expected that he was going to come. And it was actually foretold in, in Isaiah 7.14, you know, nearly 600 years before Jesus ever came, or maybe even 700. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's talking about Jesus. That's a prophecy about this very thing we're talking about right now. So it's not only the theological need for Jesus to be perfect, but it, it had to happen that way to fulfill prophecy, right? Exactly. There's multiple prophecies that fulfilled. In fact, I would say you could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head— Jesus had to be born of a woman to fulfill that prophecy. Mm. God couldn't just send Jesus down. He had to be seed of a woman, but it never says he was seed of the man. Mm -hmm. But he's talking specifically to Eve, not Adam, because God in his foreknowledge knew Jesus would not be the seed of a man, right? That, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow yeah, that's Mary. Good. That's really good. That's good. And and so this the story continues on, actually. You know, we jump from kind of Luke, the story in Luke, to also Matthew, because in Luke, it talks really about Mary's account of it, but Matthew kind of shows us how Joseph reacts then, because we got to remember, 
what we read in the verses was Joseph was engaged to marry this woman, and then he gets news that she's going to be pregnant of a child that's not necessarily biologically his. So he's got this conundrum to deal with. Um, and so we'll see that God in his mercy also sends the same angel Gabriel to enlighten Joseph uh, to the purpose and plan of this son. And we can read that in Matthew 1, verse 18. Yeah, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, so again, we see Matthew also affirms the virgin birth, mm. the virgin conception, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I know you're going to give us a little more uh, background on Joseph in a minute, but man, I, I read that, Eric, and like I think my heart breaks for Joseph. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of a stigma when someone gets pregnant out of wedlock, although I'd say very little in our culture today. But in that culture, I mean, that was like almost the ultimate no-no, right? And mm-hmm. so for Joseph to either have people assume that that was his fault or to have people assume that Mary had stepped out on him. I mean, just all the rumors, all the looks of disdain, all the things that were going to take place. So how, how did Joseph find out? Like, what was the timing of that? Yeah, so basically we, we had talked about the timeline of knowing, you know, where Elizabeth, the cousin, was at, you know, six, six months. Um, we know that we, later we find out that Mary immediately rushes to go visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Um, And so we would guess that by the time she gets back, it says that she stayed with Elizabeth for three months. We would believe that she's somewhere around four months pregnant at the time when uh, she comes back. And now she's visibly pregnant then to everybody around, including Joseph. And, and like you said, like you said, she, she, uh, uh, would have brought the stigma upon him and his profession and his uh, social status. And now he's got this conundrum of having to deal with, what do I do here? She must have cheated on me. We were betrothed. And, you know, we think about engagement in our custom, you know, in America or in the West. And engagement, you're not quite married. And I will tell, this is one thing I tell married couples. I always test to see if they're ready to get married. Cause I always say when we first start premarital counseling, I'm like, guys, this is your last chance to get out of it. <laughs> That's usually because I want you to know, I, I want them to prove that they are they're They're in this and they're going to stick together and that divorce isn't an option, you know? And so when we're in pre-marriage counseling, even when people are engaged, they're not quite married in the West, but but uh, in in the Jewish culture, there was something that's a, a better word for engagement, which was betrothal, and and you can go look this word up. How it was a Jewish custom, and it would take you know several months of the the bride preparing herself. But there was, it was like a legal binding contract at that point. You weren't gonna back out of it. You were already basically legally married, and so. When Joseph finds out his betrothed woman is pregnant, it's like she cheated on her, and he wasn't sure what to do. And so then we read on in the rest of Matthew there. Yeah, this was, I mean, think about it. If any of you have been in a long-distance relationship, and this is, you know, prior to telephones, prior to the Internet, he hasn't seen Mary for three months, maybe four. When she left, everything was fine and dandy, and she comes back and she's pregnant. 
and and obviously I'm sure Joseph's first thought was, man, she's been unfaithful to me. Mm. And and I can only imagine just the heartbreak that he was feeling. And so he he was going to divorce her, but he wanted to do it privately because he was a man of integrity. And this is what we read in verse 19. It says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel knew Joseph's fears, right? The angel knew Joseph thought mm-hmm. Mary's been unfaithful, and he reaffirms to Joseph, hey, you, you can still take Mary to be your wife. She hasn't done anything wrong. The child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the graciousness of God really continues to play out in this story. You know, and also the 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 sovereignty of God as well, because God has a plan for this and a purpose, and He certainly doesn't want Joseph. Joseph still has to be the father as well. If we go back to the 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 genealogy, he was in the line of David, and if we remember last week, we talked about this Davidic covenant. Um, that said that David would have one who would occupy his throne forever. And so interestingly, when we, in the genealogies, you know, um, Joseph's brought up in both Matthew and Luke as the father, even though he's not the biological father, he still is passed down um, through, through David's, David's bloodline. And it's also talked about that Mary is probably part of David's bloodline as well to fulfill that prophecy that you're talking about. And so God is, is making sure that his plan's going to play out because that's how God is. He's sovereign and he, he's got a plan that's going to play out. We can't thwart it, even though, and again, if you think about these details why would someone who is making up this story add details about this man saying, uh-oh, I'm, I'm thinking I should break the engagement. I'm thinking we should get a divorce, but I'm going to do it quietly. Like these details in there really just speak to the, the story being true, not something that was made up. And so, but it brings us back to the point before we move on to the next one you know a divine ch- child requires a divine conception i think in all of this we can see you know god the trinity the trinity at conception you know god and the holy spirit and and jesus being you know formed in conception and we believe in the trinity as christians uh, and again the apostles creed would would affirm that as well but um you know, what I want to say about this divine child is that he is God. And eventually we find out that he's God in the flesh. When we read that his name was Emmanuel, Emmanuel, that means God with us. And so, so a divine child who would be God in the flesh, um, had to come in this way so that he would be sinless, so that he would fulfill prophecy, so that he could become a man. And why did he become a man? So that he could save the rest of mankind from their sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God. The whole point of this was that God's plan would be fulfilled in redeeming 
mankind who fell from him in sin when after he first created them. Amen. And, and just for clarification, when we say, I think we just said Jesus was formed, we're, we're talking about incarnate Jesus, yes. right? Because Jesus has always existed as part of the Godhead. You know, in, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the mm-hmm. Word was God. But, but there was a moment in history when incarnate Jesus was formed, right? When Mary conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is pretty mind-blowing. No, that's, that's a really <laughs> good point, yeah, is to remember that God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, has always existed, but yet, in a moment in time, that's why we celebrate Christmas, but over 2,000 years ago, he took on human flesh to come save sinners. Yes. Well, let's head into our final point for today, Eric, and that's that there's still this divine calling for ordinary people. So just like there was a divine calling on, on Mary and on Joseph, there, there's a divine calling for us. Yeah, and so to keep building on this this idea of Jesus, you know, becoming a man, he's God in the flesh. Um, you know, Matthew one twenty two in the story, it goes on to say, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, why did Jesus become a man? Well, Jesus become, becomes a man for several reasons. The greatest was to take away our sins, but it was also so that he could relate to us. And so, in a way, Jesus was both ordinary and extraordinary, being God and man. And he came, but he, he left us with stuff to do. He left ordinary men with this, this calling. Um, but the example of Christ's life while he was here really proves that the point of God um, sending his son down, part of it was that uh, so that we could see God in the flesh, so that we could see the the real uh, tangible example of God. Before, God was just this transcendent being that only talked through certain people, but now when Jesus comes down, the whole world gets to see God. The whole world gets to see exactly what God is like. And so now man can relate to God and God can relate to man. I love when Jesus says in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And and Jesus wants to relate to humanity uh, because he wants to show us that God is not done with us and he's got a job for us to do. And ultimately, I see that ordinary people being used for this divine calling, again, going back to Joseph and Mary's lives as these two ordinary people. Many believe she was a 14-year-old girl and an an ordinary man, and all of a sudden God shows up and says, boom, I've got a job for you, basically. (laughs) And one of the things I love about about Joseph's story in particular, well, Mary's too, both of them, they they obeyed without hesitation, that, you know, Matthew 124 says, when Joseph woke up, so this is right after the vision from the angel, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Mm. He didn't go stew about it for three weeks. You know, he didn't go ask a bunch of people for insight and their opinion. No, he heard from the Lord through his angel and he got up and he obeyed. 
Yeah, and that's that's really kind of for a practical application for you and for me and for for people listening to this, you know, Christians that are coming to church, people that are seeking. Um, when God sends a divine messenger to bring a message to you to of of hope of of the Son of God who came to save our sins, um, what are you going to do with that message? You know, if you're an, if you're an unbeliever listening to this, you've got to you've got to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to run away? Am I going to leave? Am I going to um, you know ponder on this like Mary did earlier that we read? She thought about these things. She was. She was seriously considering all that was going on. Would you seriously consider if if God is is bringing to light Jesus in your life through a through someone in your life? Um, would you consider being faithful and, and following and serving Him like 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 Jesus did and like how Mary did in Luke one thirty seven? It says, "For the word of God will never fail." Mary responded, "I am the Lord's servant." May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And so she was confused and disturbed, distracted, um, struggling, wondering. Um, but after, after being encouraged, she says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, by faith, by faith in what this angel's told me, this divine messenger, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to preserve and protect this baby that I've been given. And when he grows up, I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. And ultimately, when he dies on the cross, we're going to see that Mary, um, as an imperfect human being, uh, was just an ordinary person that needed her sins forgiven, like 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 everyone else does. But it it needed to start somewhere. And and the the forming of her faith, her true saving faith, seems to start at this Christmas story where she says, I'm willing to follow you. God's word never fails. I'm your servant. I surrender. I submit. That's what it takes for a person to start following and trusting Jesus. Um, but then, you know, for us as people who have already placed their faith in Jesus, I think this story also gives us this encouragement to take the ball and run with it, so to speak. You know, take the baby and run with it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I and I love again you just point this out Eric, but but Mary recognized immediately I'm I'm the Lord's servant. He's God and I'm not. He gets mm. to call the shots. I can trust him. Everything you have said about me come true. And Mary wasn't naive. She wasn't oblivious to what was ahead. Again, she knew the hardships that were going to take place. She knew the whisperings. She knew the you know, the, the judgmental looks are going to be cast down on her as an unwed mother. She, she knew all of that that was going to happen. And so I think for us as believers, we need to count those costs and we need to mm. say, it's okay, God, I'm still your servant. Like, even if people mock me, even if people ridicule me, even if I face persecution, I'm okay with that. I'm the Lord's servant. You're God and I'm not. And even when we look at the Great Commission, right, in Matthew 28, where Jesus says that all authority has been given to him and I'll go make disciples in all the nations, mm -hmm. teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then that amazing promise that he's with us even until the end of the age. Like as we do that, we're, we're going to face some ridicule probably. We're going to have some hard times in that. And our response should be like Mary and Joseph's. I'm your servant. Yes, exactly. And, you know, just building on 
what you said about Mary going back to Joseph's conundrum that he had to deal with. Um, and he wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to take the call. I'm, I'm, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to take care of this child for you, God. And, and so many people probably at that point started ridiculing Joseph. Um, but he said, I am resolved. And I think that's what I see here is this, this resolve in, in Joseph and Mary they know that they have a higher calling than what people understand or can see, and they're trusting God with it. And so just like what you were talking about, you know, if you're a Christian here today listening to this, you have a higher calling than, than what, what society would put on your life to, to you know, to, have, to live the American dream, to be a good parent, to be a good member of society to, you know, stay up on your bills and your lawn care and all that type of stuff. I think that, th that we get caught up in that. Like, those are good things. Obviously, we want to do those things. But there's also a higher calling if you're a Christian that takes priority, really, above all of those things, to follow Jesus faithfully and share him w with the rest of the world and with, hopefully, first and foremost, starting with the people you know and love. And I think one of the things we're going to discover next week is there is a joy that comes with that mm -hmm. in spite of the hardship, in spite of the trials. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week in Unexpected Joy. But hey, be sure to talk about the unexpected pregnancy, this divine calling that we have with someone in your small group, with someone that's mentoring you or someone you're mentoring. And don't forget to use all the resources at PursueGod.org to do that. Thanks for joining us today. Have a blessed week.